want to continue with the um, thoughts that I started last Sunday. I told you that it was going to take a while because I had a bunch of scriptures here that came to my mind as I uh, meditated on this issue of definition, definition. And I want to speak this morning, I want to sort of put it as a foundation for you to uh, think about and the framing of uh, what I'm going to speak about. You know, three, four words. One word is definition. Even before definition, the word crisis, which I kind of uh, stopped for a while to unpack a little bit uh, last Sunday. Crisis, definition. Today I want <clears throat> to add a little bit more about truth, truth, and obedience. These four words are going to frame my presentation this morning. Crisis, <clears throat> definition, truth, and obedience. And uh, I want you to hear what I'm saying and listen to it and receive it in the light of these important principles of crisis, definition, truth, and obedience. And, um, you know, I, I, I preach the same sermons generally in Spanish, but then often I go into other territory, and um, it's never the same sermon, and sometimes I talk about certain concepts as one in, in one service and in another, and I've said that before, often I don't know where I preached what, so if I uh, am uh, crossing over some material that may be familiar to you from last Sunday, I hope that it will simply serve to reinforce what you have learned. And I think that there may, some, may be new things as well. You know, I, I stopped to meditate on the word crisis and the definition of crisis. And uh, one aspect that uh, I don't know if I touched upon, uh, I know I read it, but I don't know if I stopped on it. Um, you know, it, it, one way of uh, <clears throat> uh, seeing crisis besides, you know, the turning point in a disease, is, you know, that change, it says, that change about crisis and definition, that change which indicates recovery or death, that change which indicates recovery or death. It's that moment in, a, in the progression of a disease that things come to a head and either the patient gets, the patient gets better or dies. And that's, a, that's that moment of crisis in its medical sense. And... Um, you know, I, I think America is in, in a situation like that, where we are in a moment in our history, and I think the world is reaching that point as well, where we either recover or we die. I think America, particularly, let's, let's talk about our own nation, is in a moment in its history where it will go one way or the other. Um, America has been fighting for its soul for a very long time, spiritually speaking. And I think in the 21st century, uh, this nation has come to the point where it has to define itself. It, 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 it's, uh, it, it is looking at two roads. One is uh, the road of secularism, <clears throat> materialism, intellectualism, humanism, the creature navigating with its own sets of points of reference and uh, its own compass, independent of God, independent of Scripture, independent of its Judeo-Christian background. So America is looking at that road and deciding, do we go in that direction? Do we go in the direction of uh, total uh, separation and saying, you know, we will no longer hear the, the truths of uh, the Bible, of Scripture, of God's Word, and if we do, we will only hear what we want to hear of it, and we will uh, tweak God's Word to fit our understandings of reason, logic, and so on and so forth, sociology, psychiatry, uh, 
anthropology, history, and so on and so forth. Um, and we will not obey th this word, we will not obey the teachings of this word. Um, thank you, gracias, <laughs> thank you. Um, so that's one, one road that we are looking at right now, and that needs to be defined, that needs to be determined. The other, ro the, the other road, which we never navigated perfectly, by the way, American history has been marred, has been damaged by huge amounts also of disobedience to the Word of God, even as it professed that to believe in God and the Word. When Americans were enslaving black people in the 19th century and the 18th century, um, despite what they knew was the truth, and uh, beating their slaves in the morning before going to church, going to church and then raping some of their slaves in the evening or the afternoon and professing to be believers, that was not Christianity either. So I, I am very much aware that uh, America has never walked perfectly the journey of faith uh, of Christianity. But at least uh, there was a profession of faith. There was a, there was a kind of a, a, an understanding and an acknowledgement of the Word of God. And that Word, of course, when you acknowledge it, it will judge you, it will discipl discipline you, it will correct you. And that's what God did with America in the 19th century with the Civil War. There was huge correction and huge payback. Um, uh, but at least, you know, there, there was a there was an understanding and acknowledgement of, of that. And America walked with an understanding of the Word of God over mankind. And uh, the problem is when you do evil and you also do it lucidly, and uh, you say that it is not evil, and uh, you, you, know, you just go on in a, in a very deliberate sort of way cultivating evil, and you develop all kinds of defenses against it, and you build a whole apparatus to to sustain your rejection of the truth, that becomes a problem. I think the lucidity with which uh, this nation is now rejecting God is such that it's really something totally demonic. And um, I think that's where the danger lies, when you don't even pay lip service to the Word of God, when your laws and your governmental declarations and your leaders no longer bother to even pretend that they respect the Word then that becomes a demonic thing. It becomes a bargain then. And evil then is encouraged and is uh, legitimized to have more say into the dealings of the nation. And this is where we are now. And so America is, is kind of contemplating these two abysses. One is the abyss of complete uh, yielding to uh, the truth of God, which is an abyss because you have to jump into it and let it carry you. The other is the abyss of secularism and, and of rebellion, uh, and, and so the patient right now, which is America, is in this point of crisis and of definition. Either it gets better or it will go headlong into disaster. And uh, this is the moment where we can no longer say, well, we'll just give him some aspirin. We'll, we'll give him some pills to, you know, maintain the condition. The, the patient will either go in the way of recovery or the way of death. And that's, that's, that's why, you know, this is a, whatever I say is in the light of that moment that we are living in. Um, and, you know, crisis, is, as I said earlier, is linked to the definition as well. Crisis has in its root, in its etymological Greek root, the idea of um, separation and distinguishing and discerning and differentiating between two things and of uh, refining the identity of a concept 
slimming it down to, to its true ultra-high definition. And so we are in that process also of, uh, uh, that's what crisis, it, crisis brings definition, crisis brings clarity, crisis separates essences, and it names things very specifically. God is all about definition. And you can see it in Genesis, uh, as Bill was talking about, you know, the book of Genesis. At, at the beginning, there's just God's, you know, formless creation. Everything is mixed. All the elements of creation and of nature are mixed up. Light, darkness, water, soil, vegetable, animal. Everything is mixed up. And then God begins, after he creates with one word, this entire creative chaos, he proceeds to separate one thing from the other, name, define, and, uh, you know, that's what, that's what uh, God is all about, naming and defining. And we are at this moment now where uh, God is defining further the elements of uh, human reality. And I don't know if I shared that with you uh, as well. You know, this idea, when you examine human history from the very beginnings, really, you're talking about if you go back to the you know, the pre-Socratic philosophers to the, the, the Greek philosophy before even Christ. And uh, then you go throughout history, you know, Christianity comes into the, into the scene, and then you have the medieval synthesis, uh, the medieval times, and then you go into the Renaissance, then you go later on into the Enlightenment, you go through the, um, you know, the Reformation, you go into the French Revolution, you go into the American Revolution, you, uh, you go further into the 18th century, the 19th century with all the Industrial Revolution and the, the surging of, uh, I think, three things that have made the, the world much more complex, Freudianism, Marxism, and Darwinism. These three doctrines really emerged in the 19th century. And these three doctrines of Freudianism, Marxism, and, uh, and Darwinism, they revolutionized human our consciousness. They showed us that reality is not what it seems to be, that behind and under the appearance of things, there's another reality. So you take, for example, Freudianism and, and the psychoanalysis zone. It shows us that, you know, we have some processes that are going on at the top of our head, our consciousness, our psyche. But then below it, there's all kinds of subconscious material that is really what determines our actions, things that we're not aware of. Um, so this idea that things are not what they seem that there are sort of underlying processes that govern the outside of the, the, the top, the surface of a human reality, it revolutionized things because it, it gave us this, this capacity to examine our reality in a much deeper way, to question things. And I think what, what these three great doctrines of uh, Darwinism, uh, Freudianism, with all its different ramifications, and uh, Marxism did is allowing us to examine things and to become a lot more... Um, suspicious of the external manifestations of the human reality, whether it's history or the human psyche, or even the processes that govern creation, you know, uh, biology, and uh, so on and so forth. And uh, it loosened, I think, humanity's attachment to truth. It made truth a lot more slippery and less accessible. So the 19th century, I think, was a moment, and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm saying these things. And then we come into the 20th century, <clears throat> and we began to see, again, the, uh, the questioning. The fruit of the 19th century and it's all the other centuries all of a sudden becomes more defined. And you begin to see, you see humanity as questioning everything. Questioning sexuality, questioning uh, gender relationships, uh, questioning religion. 
this, uh, this fruit of the discernment of evil and truth from a demonic perspective now bears its flower and, and its fullness. And uh, humanity enters into a time of rebellion. The 20th, 20th century is the, 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 the century of rebelliousness, of questioning, of um, you know, uh, questioning God as the serpent wants Adam and Eve to do in the very beginning of creation. And so you have feminism, you have uh, you know, homosexuality, you have uh, all these things that enable then to use these, uh, these uh, attitudes that were engendered of Darwinism, Freudianism, um, Marxism. And so this, this society now, they, these truths, which were the domain of specialists, now becomes you know, pretty much popularized in media, in literature, and so on and so forth. And humanity, we all become inveterate, extraordinarily well-developed questioners of everything. And that is part of that demonic progression. And then we have now the 21st century where humanity's capacity to question God and to question even miracles and so on is uh, absolutely almost un, uh, it's without precedent. In the 21st century, we have cosmology, we have uh, nuclear physics, we have quantum theory, we have all these different things that enable us to question even the nature of, of of uh, matter, time, space, the differentiations between future, past, and present. We are now, you know, in a place where everything goes and, and we have the tools to cultivate that complete unbelief and cynicism. And we have grown, even we who may not be experts in these areas of cultural history, we have been tainted and affected by this questioning inclination. This, uh, you know, kind of uh, de facto and a preemptive questioning attitude. We question everything, and we take everything with a grain of salt. Even the preachings of our pastors, the teachings of the church, the teachings of scripture, we have been penetrated by this uh, lucidity, which is, I think, the greatest affliction of the 21st century. And uh, that is a problem for us believers. Um, because we depend, Christianity depends on certitude. It depends on on a, on a Bible, on a document that is unquestionable, that is truthful, that is inspired by God, that is infallible, that is trustable. Amen. And uh, we don't have the capacity anymore. We have been penetrated by a seed of unbelief. And so the church needs to go back. The last thing I want to say about, you know, this, when you look at human history, and you see these different strains um, what you see is that, you know, we have been able to live in the tension of uh, the sacred and uh, the logical, the rational. For a long time, you know, humanity and human history and culture have been able to, <clears throat> to stay within that tension of logic and sacredness and, and the faith. They have been at, at odds with each other, but, you know, Christianity has been able to navigate those two uh, strains of thinking and keep it in some sort of, you know, creative tension. Now, what I think was happening is that all of these things that have been going on for centuries are coming to a head. And that's why it's so important about crisis and about definition. All these things that we have held loosely for so many centuries are now, I think, in the time that we are living in, uh, coming to that point of either we get better or we, we get worse. It comes to a point where everything is coming to polarization. Everything is coming to definition. We are no longer able to maintain these two truths uh, the way that we have. 
So people are being asked to take sides. And I think the church also is being asked by the Holy Spirit to take sides and to determine what is the truth that we are going to follow. What is the road? What is the paradigm that we are going to accept? You might remember that I mentioned uh, Elijah's uh, bringing the, the Israelites uh, to a large gathering, a sacred assembly, and saying, choose, how long will you move between two thoughts? If God, if Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal is God, then serve him. It was that moment of definition that Israel was uh, being asked to come to. Humanity is, bringing, is coming to that point. As the themes of history come to a crisis, as they come to a point of definition, we, the church, just as humanity is, is being asked for that same choice. What truth will we follow? And uh, how long can we live moving between two thoughts, two paradigms? And we need to come to that moment of uh, crisis and definition. God is asking us to define ourselves as the church of Jesus Christ. He's preparing to do something extraordinary in human history. Amen. And we must prepare ourselves for the consequences of his actions. In other words, you know, if we, if we live life as if everything is the same that it was 10 years ago, we will, have, we will be running the risk of missing something very important, which is that we have entered into a new zone of human existence. We have entered imperceptibly almost. We have th come through a threshold, and we didn't even know it. We missed it, because that's what happens. When you live history, it ha doesn't have the same clarity that, you have, that, that it has when you look back upon it, when you analyze it, when you see its patterns. So we have been, you know, living this history, and, and uh, we, we have missed it because we're within the forest. We're not watching the forest from 5,000 feet above. We're living in the forest, so we don't see its patterns. But we have entered into a new time, and that's what I want to alert us to the fact, because maybe that will help to add to this sense of crisis. We, things are no longer as they were just a few years ago. We have, we have entered and we are entering increasingly into a new zone of human existence and of God's dealings with humanity, a zone of greater definition, a zone of greater cost to the choices that we make, a zone of greater capacity on the part of evil to, to uh, seduce and uh, to um, uh, lie and to confuse. We have entered into a zone of human existence and of the church's existence where the cost of our, of our attitudes, our actions, our lackadaisical way of looking at Christianity will become increasingly costly. I think uh, evil has been given more freedom to seduce mankind than ever before. We are living in those times where Jesus says, if those days were not uh, abbreviated, if they were not reduced, uh, nobody would be saved. You remember that? When Jesus asked, you know, will, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, that, that's one of the most enigmatic uh, musings of, of Jesus. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Because we are running the risk. If these things were to continue, the, the weight and the burden of uh, this uncertainty uh, and, and this agony that we live in about truth and falsehood and so on would be so great that it would deplete us. It would exhaust us psychologically and emotionally, and we would end up uh, putting ourselves in the arms of the enemy, because the agony is just too much. So God has to reduce those times um, in order to save us, in order for us to be, to be saved. It, it, you know, it's a recognition of, from, on the part of God about the reality of uh, the human constitution. 
And there's another thing. You know, there's another, uh, there's a scripture that is in my mind regarding the times that we are living in. It is the, 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 the metaphor and also the archetype of the Tower of Babel. Because the Tower of Babel is an archetype. Talk about Genesis. Archetypes are sort of these foundational narratives that um, govern human existence and so on in history. They're more than just what they say. And the Tower of Babel is a, an archetype that shows us something about where we are. You know, in, 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 uh, in, in the story of the Tower of Babel, you see that humanity has reached a point of great uh, development, scientific, cultural development. I don't know what that meant, you know, however many thousands of years ago that was. But it meant that humanity had come to a point of great uh, technological and intellectual development. And they, they came to that point and they said, wow, look how great we are. We must build a memorial to ourselves. Let's build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. Let's, reach, uh, let, let's build something, that, a monument to our greatness and our intellectual development. And, uh, you know, that's what we are living in a time like that where humanity is looking at itself and what it has accomplished. It's looking at its capacity to even question the nature of, you know, the, the, the physical realm, the subatomic world, the, the, the realm of time and space and, and the cosmos and so on and so forth. And we are looking and we are deslumbrados. We are in awe of what we have accomplished, our technological prowess and so on. And we are tempted to also say, you know what, we don't need this God. We, we, you know, we, we're doing fine just as we are. Why do you need the, the Bible to tell you how to navigate human identity and reality? We don't need that. We have all that we need, all the tools that we need. And so we seek to build an, an idol to ourselves. But what does God do at that moment of crisis? You know, the Bible says it's, it's one of the most fascinating moments where the Trinity, I think it is, or God in his uh, multifaceted personality says, hey, we, there's a we there. You know, uh, these people are reaching a point where, um, you know, if we let them continue, who knows what they'll be able to do. Because, you know, God has put in, human, in, in humanity divinity. You know, the, 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 the uh, directions and, and the extremes that our mind can take us are almost limitless. God has given us the creativity of more than angels. We have divinity within ourselves. We have the capacity to perceive... Uh, Extraordinary, extraordinary things. We can create amazing things. That's what we are doing right now as we, as we explore, you know, artificial intelligence and, and uh, you know, human beings that are a mixture of machine and human, uh, on and on. You know, we, uh, we have come to this point where we are able to manipulate the, the genome, the human genome, uh, to do all kinds of, to conceive of the idea of... Um, Tampering with human sexuality and female, male identity. We are creating cyber things. Um, and so God is there from his heaven looking down upon human reality and saying, you know, we got to do something. Because if we, if we let humanity continue in this direction, who knows what they will do? I, and I believe that, you know, among other things, it will destroy itself. Humanity doesn't have the wisdom to deal with, the, it, 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 with its intellectual capacity. We're like very highly developed children who can invent all kinds of things and create things, but we don't have the maturity to, to handle the energies that we release with our knowledge. And so God is extremely concerned, so to speak, as he looks at human history right now. And uh, he is saying, we have, to, we have to put a stop to this. 
Because if we don't, who knows what they will do? And uh, that's where we are right now in human history. We have reached a Babel, Tower of Babel moment where that paradigm is once more relevant to what we are living, where uh, we have reached a moment of crisis and of definition. God cannot allow humanity to continue <clears throat> going without limitation in this new direction, which is not a new direction. It's simply the, the, the uh, culmination of all these different things that we have been living the creature seeking independence from the creator. That's what all human history is about. Increasing rebelliousness, increasing sense of independence, increasing capacity to question. So we are at this point now where the creator is saying, if we don't stop this, something's going to happen. And I think this is what we, where we are and why the church needs to understand its moment. We need to discern the time. We need to discern where we are Amen. as a creation and also as the church. Because if we understand where we are, then we will know how to act. And so we are at this moment now where uh, in the next years, I don't know how many, there may be decades because God's processes are lengthy. Um, but Jesus is definitely coming and we are closer to his coming than ever. And we are also closer to processes that need to become and, and, and uh, happen before he comes. Now, I don't know, as I said earlier, that I, I don't know what's uh, over the hill. But I do know that there's something waiting that is not common and that we need to prepare ourselves for. God is preparing to do something extraordinary in the human uh, realm. And the church cannot continue with business as usual. We need to recover this sense of urgency, this sense of crisis, this sense that we are walking uh, uh, into a path that we have never been before. And that therefore we need to tighten all of our systems and that we can no longer continue living as we have been living until now. You know, the, the, the placid proceedings of the church that we have seen in the past decades are no longer appropriate. The church needs to tighten its systems a lot more because the, the demands are increasing and will increase and the costs will also increase. I remember the words of the, the Bible right now. It says, Despiértate tú que duermes. Awaken you who are asleep. And Jesus will illuminate you. God is asking the church to awaken. And I remember also the words of James. You know, uh, what is it? Let, let the, the knees bow. And, and uh, you know, and uh, let the church. I, I wish I could recover the passage. I don't have it right now, but uh, I don't want to lose time on it. You know, uh, this is where we are. <clears throat> and who knows? I'm foolish enough to even try to find it. But, uh, you know, uh, we, we are in a, in a time of, uh, yeah, here it is. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. There is a time now that we are being called to, uh, to bow. If we're asleep, let's awaken. If our knees are not bending enough in prayer, let them begin to bow before the Lord. It is a time for us to become much more consecrated because the times demand it. 
The dealings of God with humanity demanded. The, the, the moment of crisis and of culmination in human history that we are living demand that we be ready for what is coming. And, and uh, you know, that word of awaken, not to humanity out there only, but to us, because the church is being called to play a significant role now in human history. And if we are not up to the task, we will fail this moment. It is a moment of uh, tightening everything. I know that it is an urgency in my heart. This is why, you know, I've been, I've been seeking to read what is inside of me in order to share it. Because I'm not sure. It's just, you know, just a formless sense of urgency. That's the only, it's urgency. It's, this is the prophetic word of God, urgency. Crisis, preparation, tightening, definition, painful choosing. These are the words, these are the concepts that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church in our time. And to Lion of Judah. And uh, it is saying you cannot continue the way you have proceeded until now. Humanity has reached or is reaching this point of crisis, this point of definition and clarity. And the ambiguities that allow contrary essences to remain confused and undifferentiated must be eliminated. That's a handful, a mouthful. Until now, we've been able to, you know, live with all kinds of contradictions among ourselves. We do all kinds of stupid things. We say all kinds of contradictory things. You know, we live a very lackadaisical lifestyle as the church. We, we allow all kinds of stuff to take place within the body of Christ. I know I've been guilty of that myself. Um, we say all kinds of silly things to each other, knowing that, deep inside knowing that God is not really pleased with what we are doing or saying, that he requires something more. But we do it anyway. You know, we just pat ourselves on the back, we laugh uncomfortably, and we go on with our lives. And so we have all these different, <clears throat> these different doctrines. By the way, Vanessa, thank you for the, this thing, but if I, if I do it now, I'm just going to be, I may spit it out when I, when I speak. <laughs> so sorry if I'm too graphical. It's just I have something there. Um, I've been t talking too much this past week. But um, <clears throat> what I mean is that... Um, uh, we, uh, we need to start separating things. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I would love to believe. And really, I would love to have the freedom to say yes to. But I, I don't have the freedom to say yes to many things. And uh, I realize that, you know, God is calling me to even define my friendships, to even define my ministerial associations and uh, relationships um, to, to separate from many things that I love, to say no to people that I adore, and, and to go into a territory of loneliness, if you will, which is the territory of the true believer of Christ, separation from many things that we, we simply must cut the words of Jesus came to my mind this week as well as I thought about these things. If your hand is a cause for you to lose your life, then cut it. If your eye causes you to sin against God and to go to hell, pluck it out. Because it's better to go to heaven with one eye and one hand than to go to hell with both hands or both eyes. Extreme choice, extreme choosing. We have to choose 
Remember I read that passage of, um, uh, you know, unless you are willing to forsake father and mother, husband and wife, son or daughter, you are not worthy of being my disciple. Because I think the choosing that needs to take place in our time for the church is such that it will cause us to have to choose between things that we love dearly, our own beloved sons and daughters. We will have to choose between saying, hey, that's okay, son. I love you so much that I'm willing to move the goalpost a little bit for you and to accommodate you. Instead of saying that, you know, I love you to death and I would give my life for you a thousand times, but I cannot condone where you're at. And uh, we will hear our sons and daughters saying, well, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And we will have to bow our head and cry bitter tears and say, I will always love you. But take your choice as I must choose mine. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we are. That's where we are right now in, in, uh, in the church. And uh, we, have to, we have to choose who will be our friends, who will be our associates, who will be... Um, and, you know, this all separation. That's something that I, maybe I'll, I'll talk about it some other time, separation, because you remember sanctification, holiness, is, uh, it, within the word is this idea of separating from and separating for. Separation is something that the church now needs to become very conscious of. Are we willing to separate ourselves, both from people that we love and whole sectors of, our, of the church that we love who are enmeshed in all kinds of false doctrines and teachings, and also separate ourselves from behavior that we are absolutely addicted to, habits of the mind and habits of practice that are so enmeshed, so, so deeply entrenched in us. That it will be like cutting off of hand or an eye. And that we will have to also cry bitter tears to ask the Lord to free us from certain dependencies, certain pleasures, certain appetites. Because we know that they're not conducive to the kind of stance that God requires in order to use us and to protect us as he wants to. Are we willing to separate <clears throat> for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to say no to things that we love and people that we love in order to honor the Word of God? This is the terrible choice that we are now being asked to take more clearly than ever. And let me say something, because when you say that, you have to say all kinds of other things, just to nuance. We have to do it with extreme grace, extreme love, and extreme humility. We have to realize that we're no better than anybody else. We have to know that, uh, you know, this truth that we announce cuts through us first. And therefore, we have to say it very generously and tenderly. But we, we have to speak the truth and act the truth nevertheless. But act, we must. Because sometimes, you know, we are emotionally blackmailed by others saying, well, look at you. You're saying about, you know, but look at you, what you do and what you don't do and, you know, all these things. That's not the point. The point is, I, I, I'm, I see the truth, I may not uh, adhere to it perfectly, but I have to acknowledge it, and I have to do the best that I can. The fact that I don't do it perfectly has nothing to do with it. But rather than try to pretend that I don't know the truth, or try to clothe the truth with something else that is more convenient to me, I will accept what it is, and try to live to it. So, I don't, I'm not talking about, you know, we must beware of uh, Pharisaism, and of thinking that we're better than anybody else, 
No, it's not about that. It's about extreme humility and obedience to the Word of God, even as we separate ourselves painfully from others that we love from the church. And I, I, I could be even more specific, but I don't want to get into it right now, maybe at some other point. But I know that we are being asked to do that. Uh, it, it's about truth, and I may not even get to that. You know, we have just a few more minutes. So let me, I, I'm going to be taking all these different passages and, uh, you know, uh, biting from it and, and taking a little bit from it. Um, you know, so I, I've said humanity has reached or is reaching a point of crisis, a point of definition and clarity. The ambiguities that allow these contrary essences to remain confused and undifferentiated have to be done away with, have to be eliminated. Let me, let's look at two passages regarding that. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Uh, has a little bit of something to show us there, to teach us there. Let me see if we can find it here. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. 2 Timothy 2, 4, 1 to 8. It says, uh, and this is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to us and to the church throughout history, but now more than ever. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, notice the solemnity, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, his manifestation, um, in the light of this, notice how solemn this calling is. But this is where I am, you know, as I say, in the light of what God is doing, in the light, that, in the light of the fact that we are closer than ever to the coming of Christ, in the light of the fact that human history is narrowing to the point of total crisis, in the view of the fact that uh, we are at this moment in human history, that things have become so much more serious, that God is preparing something extraordinary that is ahead for us and for human existence, in the light of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. This is what God is saying to us and to the church universal. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For, this is really even more clear. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. How many know what I'm talking about? Uh, we are in a time where people do not want to hear the sound teaching of God, even in churches like ours, where when you announce the truth of God, you can see the uncomfortable moving of people in their chairs. When people get offended when you announce the truth of God, when people will write you texts and emails about their uh, violent opposition to what you are saying and teaching, where the sound, you know, we've heard the expression sound doctrine. I looked it up again in its Greek original. Hygiano didascalia. Hygiano, I say it that way uh, because hygiano is hygiene. It's, it, it is the root of hygiene. Didascalia is the teaching. Sound teaching means just an element of hygiene here. Healthy, wholesome, clean, simple. Good health, no mixture of error. That's what sound doctrine means. It's a hygienic teaching of the Word of God. It's a clean 
you've taken a, a Clorox towel and you've wiped the doctrine and it's nice and free of germs, free of admixture, to use a very biblical word, clean, wholesome. It's like, you know, your mother's oatmeal. Just something very simple but very nutritious. That's what the Word of God is. It doesn't have this element of huge artificial sophistication and all kinds of little nuances and, you know, asterisks. No, it's just wholesome. The Word of God is like that. The Word of God is like fresh baked bread steaming from the oven. And you take one piece of its unified substance and you eat it. And it doesn't have any hugely uh, satisfying flavors. It's just good bread. That's what the Word of God is. And, you know, the Word of God has that distinctiveness about it. It's just wholesome. It's the teaching of Christ about behavior and, and about obedience. And, and, you know, it's like that. It's, it doesn't have all this artificial stuff around it. And, uh, you know, in, in our time, people don't want to hear the sound doctrine. They walk out on you. They get up, and in order to show their huge disagreement, they get up theatrically and walk out on you. They will not suffer sound doctrine. We are in this time. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers that will say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Man, I know that when the Apostle Paul wrote that, he didn't even know the full implication of what he was saying. He was speaking in the spirit prophetically. But now in our time, I think we can, we can uh, understand more clearly about that. You know, there's a time when, man, I look at the internet. You go, to Go you go to Google or you go to YouTube. How many thousands of sermons you can watch and hear? How many now in this time of uh, the pandemic, the pandemic, how, how um, I mean, people, you know, people more than ever have gone into uh, the Internet. And I think there's a dangerous part to that. Thank God, because, you know, people can get something. Uh, but no, you know where the danger is now is that we are exposed more than ever to the diversity of teaching that there is out there. What a rich time we are living in human history where we can, you know, we can find. Do you want a liberal teacher? Um, you can, we can find that. Do you want a teacher who uh, backs you up in homosexuality or gender fluidity or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, social justice in whatever the definition it is? You can find them. You can find them exquisitely attuned to your particular synthesis, to your particular iteration of these concepts. You can find somebody, if you want, who will give you what you are seeking. Um, and, and this is what we have now. We have people shopping in this great shopping mall of the church, shopping for the church that will fit their particular political inclination or their particular sexual preference or their particular understanding of abortion or of promiscuity or whatever. I mean, I can find me a teacher for whatever it is that I desire. And the, the hygienic, cleansing, simple, childlike teaching of the Word of God no longer satisfies. And uh, we must ask ourselves, uh, do I want to just keep shopping? 
You know, there's a restlessness in the church now, unlike any other time. People go from one church to another. People ask me, how many members do you have in your church? I say, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question anymore. There was a time when people would be born and die in, in a church. That's no longer true. I mean, you will visit dozens of churches probably in the time uh, of your life. And, you know, you may have somebody here today and then tomorrow they may be someplace else and then they may come back three months later because they made a mistake and now they come back and they're going to try to give you another chance. That's why, you know, pastors also become disillusioned at times. I'll open my heart to you in this moment as well. You know, because uh, there's no longer this sense of loyalty and we live in a very restless society where people will change jobs dozens of times. They will change locations dozens of times. Before you would be born in a certain place and you would die in the same town. You'd be married to the same person for 60 years. You would go to the same church for 40, 50, 70 years. No longer. We, we live in a very restless society. There's no loyalties. There's no, we are so much freer to navigate the world according to our needs, appetites, circumstances, particular moments in life. And it's like that with church and the, doc, the doctrines and the teachings. So you have a, a multiplicity of churches, the atomization of the church in our time, where the church is divided and broken up into little communities, 10, 15, 20 people with a, a particular pastor. That's a peeve of mine, but I don't want to get into that. Um, you know, the church, instead of having conglomerations of churches with great gifts, people working together, the, the giftings of the Spirit uh, coming together to produce healthy powerful communities. We have these small churches all over the place, each with its own pastor. Some of them not called, but we have an appetite for authority, and so we create little churches, and, and we, don't, we, don't, we cannot submit to one particular church, so we, we go to other communities. And that, uh, who suffers? The church of Christ does, the voice of the church of Christ, the, the, the uh, capacity to influence suffers the capacity to gather resources, financial and otherwise, so that it can be more effective. This is not of God, but it is of our time. Because we live in a time where, in the view of the appearing and the coming of Jesus Christ, there is a restlessness in humanity, an inability to submit to truth and to authority. And therefore... We live in this uh, place where you have a multiplicity of teachers and uh, social media and technology have given us the capacity to do that, to amass for ourselves all the teachers that we want with the exquisite differentiations that we particularly that apply to us. And we seek the, the, the truth that is convenient to us. I asked you last Sunday if you could to uh, uh, see this... Uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma. I hope, many, I hope many of you saw it. If you haven't, please do see it, The Social Dilemma, because it, it, it's a great uh, uh, exposure to, to, you know, where we are. As a matter of fact, I wish sometimes you would just come, hey, today, instead of the sermon, we're going to hear, we're going to see The Social Dilemma. Why not? I mean, what, what prevents us? My own cowardice, perhaps, because it is so illuminating. But... Um, you know, uh, uh, that's what the, the great capacity of social media to tailor our consumption to our own desires and to give us what we want to hear, what we prefer, and to read the secret 
yearnings of our heart and to give us, you know, like the serpent. Is that what you want? I'll give it to you. And uh, it's a dangerous time but because in the light of the coming of Jesus, in the light of this moment that humanity is living, this is what we are navigating. And the only antidote is the, the wholesome truth of God. Close it here. That's why in this passage, which I, I urge you to read and study 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8, you have this thing. Number one, in, the view, in view of the coming of his kingdom and the appearing of his kingdom. This is the charge. What is the charge? Uh, resolution to preach the word of God. Resolution to come back to the origins. To come back to the basics and the foundation. And this is something that God is speaking to the church as well. Come back to the foundations. Come back to the basics. Come back to sound doctrine. Purify yourselves, church. And he says, be prepared in season, out of season. Preach the word. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. This is what we need, people of God. We need the word of God, wholesome. And you need to consume that word. I'll have a chance to maybe insist on that again later on. What are those basics that God is calling us? One of them is the word. If we are going to survive this time of great delusion and seduction, we need to tether ourselves to the word of God. This is why the, the, the teachings of, you know, the discipleship classes and so on are absolutely necessary. You need to know the word. You need to study the word of God. You know, we've been saying that for thousands of years, but now more than ever. More than ever, listen to me. This is not some pious call to, you know, read the word, blah, blah, blah. This is real. This is becoming so urgent that unless you are saturated and immersed in the word of God, you will be seduced. You will be confused and, and uh, dissuaded from the path of God. The word of God has to be bubbling inside of you. The word of God has to be... Uh, you know, just saturating your being. You have to immerse yourself in the Word of God. You have to study it desperately. You have to hold on to it like a, a, a sailor in the middle of a dark night, in the middle of the ocean, not knowing where he is, but simply looking at the, 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 the instruments of navigation. Because it's the only thing that's going to keep us... And I, I will come back to that about the truth again. And wh Where is the truth and what is the truth and how do we know the truth? We have to stay at the Word. We have to get into the Word. We have to understand that more than ever if, it ever, if it ever was necessary before, and it was, now, in the time that we are living and we're about to get deeper into, we will need the Word of God more than ever. We will need to memorize the Word. We will need to understand what key it plays in. So that we can compare all the tunes of the serpent, the sirens will sing songs to us. And we have to decide whether to listen to the song of the siren or to listen to the song of the word. We have to become instinctive musicians. That the word of God will become so finely distributed within our being that we will be able to, if there's anything that, you know, if there's another word, another tune, another key, we will immediately know it instinctively. That's not, that's not the word. That's not the word. That's not the word. This is the word. Amen. You may not have to be a theologian trained in seminary, but you can know the truth of the word of God. You can know it instinctively. The spirit will speak to you. 
and you will know it. But unless you have the word within you, you won't know it. This is the time that we are living in, people of God. Would you buy your head with me a second or just simply go inside yourself deeply and find what the word of God has been, has been saying to you today? Would you mark that in your being? Would you say, Father, I, I have no right to choose. The only choice that I have is obedience, and I take that choice. I will follow you wherever you lead me. I will go wherever you want me to. If it is absolute martyrdom and complete aloneness, I will follow that. If it is separation from my loved ones, I will follow that. If it is extraordinary abandonment of all the things that I love about myself and the things that give me pleasure and joy, I will follow that. And I will pray that I be deemed worthy of the protection of the Holy Spirit in this time so that I can enter into salvation when the time comes. I can enter into that new kingdom of yours when my death, the moment of my death comes. Father, I pray that we will be up to the, the, the challenge of our time, that this congregation will be able to rise to the the seriousness and the sublimity of the task. We want to honor you. Save us, help us, save us from ourselves. Holy Spirit, take over. Help us to discern this moment that we are living in. Help us to acquire this sense of urgency, this sense of seriousness. I pray for my young brothers and sisters who are immersed, like many of us are not, in this new world of uh, social media and fake news and fake truth, and so on and so forth. And I pray that they will have the courage and the strength to make choices that will be extremely painful to them. I pray that your church will be able to teach your truth with authority and anointing. I pray that the souls of your teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, will be cleansed and purified so that they can speak the clean, wholesome word of God. And I pray for a move of your spirit, Lord. Free us so that we can do what you need us to do. I pray that these words will make themselves clear in the hearts of my people. And that whatever is not of you will be taken out. And whatever is of you, it will be fortified and strengthened in their hearts. I thank you for the privilege of living in times like these. So dangerous. And at the same time, so exciting. Thank you. Be with us, Father. And I bless my people as they leave this place today. Take them in peace and take them in joy in expectation of the great things that you are about to do. I bless you and I bless your families. I bless your work life. I bless your minds. I bless your sleep. I bless uh, the, the, your goings, your comings and goings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.